invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Every uh, church has certain things that it values and certain things that it seeks to embrace. And, and we call those core values. And you, as a follower of Jesus, also, there are certain things that you value, that you embrace. And, and hopefully, in an ideal situation, those, those values are spiritual disciplines that we who are members of the body of Christ will embrace that will help us become more like Jesus or will help us to follow Jesus more closely. Now, a few years ago, our church leadership, we sat down and through various staff meetings and talking with our deacons, we identified six such values. In fact, you'll see them on the screen in just a moment, those six values that, that we identified that were to form our DNA. You can also find, I think that we've got a slide, if you'll put that slide up there, please, the next one. There, those, that is the, the DNA of First Baptist Church, the, the things that we believe are important, the things that we believe we as members of the family of God should focus upon. And, and actually, back in 2020, January 2020, we kicked off a, a three-year emphasis to where we were going to focus on two core values, two strands of that DNA, if you will, every year for three years. That would mean that we would have done 2020, 2021, and we'd have just finished 2022. However, there a little thing came along called COVID. Y'all remember that? Anybody? Okay. Uh, maybe some of you don't because I gave you amnesia. I don't know. But uh, that came along and that kind of disrupted our plans a little bit. So actually what we've done for the past couple of years is we've just focused, we've continued to focus on serving our community and, and sharing the gospel. And that's been our, our focus for the past couple of years. Well, to this year, we're, we're going to focus on, on two other aspects of our DNA. Specifically, we're going to really focus this year on worship and scripture. Worship and scripture. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to serve our community this year. It just means that in this calendar year, we're really going to focus on worship and scripture. In fact, one of the things we're doing to focus on worship is we're encouraging you, or excuse me, on the Bible rather, on scripture, we're encouraging you to engage in a Bible reading plan. You can visit our website, fbcmilton.org slash Bible, and you have four options of Bible reading plans. If you haven't started one yet and you think, okay, I've got to read the entire book of Genesis in one week, you may want to do the New Testament this year. You can get caught up very quickly, I assure you, and take up that for the rest of the year. When it comes to worship, we're going to provide you, obviously, every week, Lord willing, with the opportunity to gather together as we are right now and worship corporately, but also some unique opportunities throughout this year to really focus and zero in on what it means to worship. And one of those things that we're going to do is spend the next several weeks in a series that I've titled Worthy. It's just simply a series on worship. But you see, we believe something about worship as a core value of our church. Specifically, if you notice how we word this core value as a church, we believe that worship is important. We encourage individuals to worship God 
And we provide opportunities for the corporate worship of God because we believe that God is worthy of our affection, our praise, and our lives. We want to see God move among us each time we worship together. Now, I want you to notice something in that statement that we're really going to highlight throughout this series. We encourage individuals to worship God because we as a church believe that God is worthy. Both for us as church gathered together and then as individuals living our lives. Worship is important. Worship matters. In fact, one of the things that God is doing right now at this moment is he is actively seeking people who will worship him. Scripture tells us in John chapter 4 and verse 23 that the hour is coming and it's now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God's looking. God's seeking worshipers. Have you ever thought that you have the opportunity to be the answer to what God's looking for? Doesn't that amaze you? That you can be the answer to what God is looking for? Because he's looking for worshipers. Now we're going to focus this morning on one verse of scripture. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And I've simply titled the message Worship 101 just to introduce us to this idea. Our text is going to help us understand this responsibility and this privilege that we have. It's a popular verse, and because of that, some of you are thinking that you already know the verse, and you're thinking about checking out on me right now. Hang on with me for a couple of hours while we dissect this subject, if you will. Because I think it's important for us to understand, because although this verse is popular, it is also very profound. And I want to try to help us understand this idea of worship in the broad sense as we follow Jesus by making three statements from Romans 12.1. But first, let's read the verse that we'll be dissecting this morning. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Look at that last phrase. Which is your spiritual worship? To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God is our spiritual worship. Let me break this verse down by making three statements to help us understand worship 101. First is this, worship is impacted by what we believe about God. 
Our worship of God, our presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice is impacted by what we believe about God. The right belief about God will cause your heart to worship. Conversely, the wrong belief about God will cause your heart not to worship. Belief impacts behavior. I'll repeat that. You might want to file that away. I think it's pretty important to remember that our belief impacts our behavior. This is why Paul uses in verse 1 that little word, therefore. That little word is a connecting word. Every time you see it in Scripture, it connects what's about to be said to what has been said. Or as they teach us in seminary, whenever you see the word therefore, you ask, what's it there for? They didn't teach that in English class because it's not right in a sentence that way. That's how they tell us to do in seminary. So you look at the word, therefore, Paul makes a hard turn in the book of Romans in chapter 12. He, he turns from doctrine to duty, from creed to conduct, from principles to practice. The, in, in using the word, therefore, Paul is saying, based on everything I've told you so far, what I'm about to tell you is how you need to put what I have said into practice. What you believe matters because what you believe determines how you behave. Now, for Paul <clears throat> to issue this call in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, that therefore is based upon what he said just back a few verses. If you look up one chapter in Romans chapter 11, he says in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsel? Or, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him. Be glory forever. Amen. It's almost like Paul got a little bit Pentecostal as he spent so much time explaining what he believes about God. He is overcome with the depths of God's glory and the response that he can make is to all for his life as a living sacrifice, which is spiritual worship. Your adoration of God must always lead you to action. Adoration always leads to action. When we adore God, we will worship God. What do you believe about God? Maybe you need to adjust your mentality regarding your maker. You'll not worship until you are overcome with God's character. Worship is impacted by what we believe about God. Secondly, worship is motivated by the mercy we receive from God. So it's impacted by what we know about God, but it's motivated by the mercy we receive from God. I could summarize it in one sentence and move on, but I'm not. Uh, but I could. I could simply say that 
Those who worship God know what it's like to experience the mercy of God. But I want to flesh that out for us just a little bit. Notice in this verse that Paul calls us to worship by the mercies of God or in view of God's mercies. Notice that word mercies is plural. It's not one act of mercy. It is the mercies of God. Imagine that God were to invite you to a parade of his mercies that he's putting on for us. And as we sit and watch, a parade of mercies goes by, and it doesn't last for just a few minutes. It doesn't last for just a few hours. It doesn't last for just a few days. It doesn't last for just a few years. It doesn't last for just a few decades or centuries. It stretches into eternity. That's the mercies of God. This is so vitally important. Tune in. Mercy is the prerequisite for worship. The prerequisite for mercy is doing something wrong. Therefore, if you've done something wrong, you qualify for mercy. And if you qualify for mercy, you ought to be worshiping. That means that we are to always be involved in the worship of God. Or maybe let me put it like this. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. I'll repeat that because a few of you missed an opportunity there. Don't let what is wrong with you, your deficiencies, keep you from worshiping what is right with God. We are motivated by his mercy. God's mercy toward us is not just once, but again and again and again. He is constantly and consistently full of mercy. We will never worship God with a sincere heart until we understand how much we are indebted to the mercy of God. And when you begin to realize how much mercy, multitudes of mercy, God has demonstrated to you, you can't help but respond. By fully surrendering your life to him. You see, a lot of people got to get this backwards. In fact, I'd be willing to, to bet that a lot of us in this room have this backwards. Some people think that they have to sacrifice or perform to receive God's mercy. It's just the opposite. God gives us a multitude of mercies apart from anything that we do, and that act of him giving us that mercy motivates us to surrender everything we are and to sacrifice everything we have for his honor and for his glory. I want you to think for a moment, just a snippet of what we understand about God's mercy for us. 
Micah the prophet looked at God's activity and, and he came to this conclusion in Micah chapter 7 and verse 18. He said, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You, God, do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. How can you not surrender your life to a God who delights to show you mercy? Do you delight to show other people mercy? <clears throat> I've seen some of you drive. You don't. Some of you unknowingly have cut me off, but I can run your license plate. Now, now you're nervous. Did it, was it me? Was it me? Or what about Jeremiah the prophet? who considered all that God had done for him and, and made this statement in Lamentations chapter 3. He said, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How can you not surrender your life to a God who has brand new mercy for you every single day? Here's the bottom line. And we hadn't defined worship yet, but we're about to, so get ready to write it down. Here's the bottom line. Worship is our response to what we value the most. Okay, worship is our response to what we value the most. If we value God's mercy, if we value the God who gives the mercy, we will be motivated to give him our very lives. You say, well, how do I know what I value the most? How do I know what I worship? I'm glad you asked because the answer is pretty simple. Follow the trail. You want to find out what you value the most? <clears throat> Follow the trail of your time, your affection, your money, and your loyalty. At the end of that trail, you will find a throne. And whatever or whomever is on that throne is what is of highest value to you. On that throne is what you worship. And if our merciful God is not on that throne in your life, I implore you to put him there, to be motivated by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice and worship to God. Worship is motivated by our mercy. God's mercy to us. Number three, worship is offered by the life we live for God. It's impacted by what we believe about God. It's motivated by the mercy we receive from God, but it's actually then offered to God. How do we offer God worship? It's offered to God by the life we live for God. <clears throat> The spiritual act of worship that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, to present your bodies. Now, that word, present or offer, that described when they would take an animal to the sacrifice and they would sacrifice that animal on that altar. It means to present oneself once and for all. You see, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it can crawl off the altar. That's why you can read your Bible today and feel God speaking to you and tomorrow all of a sudden you get too busy to read it. The living sacrifice can crawl off the altar. 
That's why you can say, all right, today I'm 100% in, and tomorrow you're 50% in. Living sacrifices can crawl off their altars. But what Paul is saying is for this living sacrifice to present itself, it means to relinquish your grip on your life and offer it to God. To give it to God, to not take it back. God doesn't do take backs. You offer it to God and you leave it with God. It's a living sacrifice of our bodies, which refers to offering 100% of us, our total being to God, not just bits and pieces. God doesn't want part of you. God wants all of you. You see, the sacrifice that we offer to God as worship is to be holy and pleasing, acceptable to God. God is, off, God is pleased, God is honored, God is worshiped when we offer to him our very best, not our very least. You see, here is the problem as best as I can tell it from my life. And I'll just speak for my faults. And you can see if you identify with me. I've got a feeling if we're breathing the same air, we probably have this same struggle. My part is I don't mind contributing to God. I do find it difficult to get full out committed to God. And you see, <clears throat> there are a lot of people who are content with making a contribution when what God is calling for you this morning is a total commitment. Let me put it in terms that I best understand and that most Baptists do in food. When you sit down to eat your plate of bacon and eggs, the chicken has contributed, the pig has committed. The chicken dropped off something, and the pig has gone all in. Brothers and sisters, God is not calling us to be spiritual chickens, but to have some spiritual bacon, bless God, to offer him. It's not an accident that Bible, bacon, and Baptist all begin with letter B. God is sovereign in all things. Have you noticed that we haven't said one thing so far about what we sing? We will later, but not today. We haven't said one thing about what we sing, what we wear, how long we sit there. For you see, we have become conditioned to equate worship with what happens in this room on Sunday mornings. And some of you have the mistaken idea that your worship to God is complete when you check off this box and you rise up from our padded pews and we are sitting on our blessed assurance and we walk out this room, we consider that our task in worship is done. May I take just a second to illustrate to you why that, is, why that is not true? A week consists of 168 hours. 
Tracy, do you mind helping me? You just got to stand here and look good. You got them both down, no problem. Just stand that right here. And our associate pastor will never sit on the front row again. <laughs> when he comes and stands just about right there. Now the distance between Tracy and Randy is about 84 feet. You construction workers hate that I said it's about 84 feet. It, preacher numbers, it's about 84 feet. You're, you're, you're weak consist of 168 hours. So if you will just notice the distance between these two gentlemen, every half foot represents one hour of your life. Do you honestly think this is all God wants from you in that week of worship? This represents one hour of your week. Do you honestly think this is what God wants? Just this? Thank you, gentlemen. You both did good standing there. Not so much looking good. 106, 180, what did I say? Six hours. Math is hard. This, out of that whole line, that's not what God wants from you. This isn't a sporting event <coughs> that consists of a lot of spectators and a few participants. You know, I heard someone say that they described a football team as 22 men on the field who need a rest while they're watched by thousands of people in a stands who badly need to exercise. And then post that on Facebook. You can't follow Jesus on the sidelines. You hear me? You can't follow Jesus sitting on the sidelines. You will not worship Jesus if you are just a spectator. When God created worship, he never meant for it to be something that we just watch clapping when we like it and booing in our heart when we don't like it. While our time on Sundays here together in this hour is very important, I submit to you that God is less concerned with a worship service than as he is a service of worship from your life. That God is more concerned about what you do Monday through Saturday in presenting yourself to him as an offering. Yes, worship includes what we do here on Sunday mornings, but it includes much more than that. True worship happens before we ever sing a song in church, before we ever open our Bibles in church. True worship is the presenting of our lives as a living sacrifice to God and living a holy and pleasing life for God, to God's glory and for his honor every day of the week. We gather here on Sundays and then we scatter the rest of the week to worship him wherever he has placed us because worship is a way of life, not an event to check off your list on Sundays. I like 
how the message, which the message, understand, it's not a, it's not a translation. It is a paraphrase of Scripture, so I'd be careful in, in using it as your main study guide. But I, I like how the message paraphrases Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. It paraphrases it by saying, take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, going to work and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. When you wake up tomorrow to place yourself before God and say, Lord, I don't know what the day holds, but I know you got this day. And I know you got me. And I want to give this day to you. It is my offering. This is how we worship. This is my offering, God, to you this day. Speak through my lips. Open them when they need open. Shut them when they need shut. Open my ears to hear what others are saying. Help me see people as you see them. God, today is yours. I give myself to you. And understand that if a finger points out towards you, I got three fingers pointing right back at me to make this our task and our calling. In worship. Let me go back to the definition. We'll wrap it up. Worship is our response to what we most value. What or who do you most value? What sits on the throne of your heart? I appeal to you. Today, in this moment, God is appealing to you to move beyond making a contribution of an hour a week in a worship service, to making a commitment of living every day of your life as a living sacrifice who is captivated by what you know to be true about God and who is motivated by the mercies you have received from God. That is God's appeal to you. My question to you is how will you answer that appeal? You're going to answer it today whether you want to or not. To not answer it is to answer it by saying no. This is God's appeal to you. How will you respond to that appeal? Look, you still got hours in this day. Before you walk out this room, you can pray what I hope you and I will pray every day. God, for the rest of this day, it's yours. Lord, the rest of this day is yours. The rest of my life is yours. Whatever you call me to do, I'll be faithful. I'll present my life to you as an offering. Lord, you speak to me, and I will follow. Speak, and I will listen. Maybe you need to be captivated by the mercy of God by receiving it. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've cried out to Jesus and asked him to simply save you? To confess your sin to him and to 
Say, Lord, will you fill my life with your mercies? Will you save me from my sin? In just a second, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to stand, we're going to sing. We call this our time of commitment. And and what's going to happen is very simple. This is the time in which you respond to this appeal from God. Again, you can say, well, no, I'm just not responding. Not responding is a response. You, when you're faced with the truth of God, when God presents his truth to you, you must make a decision. You ain't got an option. So in this time of commitment, this time of appeal, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus and you've got questions about that, you, you come down here and say, Pastor, I, I want to talk to someone about what it means to follow Jesus. And I'll get you to someone this morning who will talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. Or maybe as we've spent our time in worship today, you have realized that the person on the throne of your heart is something or someone and his name is not Jesus. His name is not God. It's time to kick that person off the throne, even if it's you. It's time to evict that person from the throne of your heart and place Jesus there and make a commitment today to live a life that worships him. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he is the only one who is worthy of our worship. And God, I thank you for the chance, the opportunity we have today to know him. And so whatever you're calling us to do, whatever prompting your spirit is giving to us, may we simply obey. We give this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray.